0: Hello and welcome to Where's Shaz, the podcast. I'm Shaz Ahmed and my mission is to empower, educate and inspire you with stories, knowledge and guests in the world of property, finance and business. So let's go. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Uh, My guests today are dear friends of mine. They are the team behind Dugard Properties, Hannah Robson and George Dugard. Hi guys, how's it going?
1: Hey, good, thank you. Thank you for having us on.
0: Thank you. All good, thanks. Awesome, awesome. Um, How are you guys finding the end of lockdown? Do
1: you know what? It hasn't, if anything, it's just made the property market more crazy. Um, So we've been in a fortunate position where it's made our business grow um and obviously estate agents have stayed open viewings have taken place build a sellin and properties obviously following kind of covid guidelines but because of that Life's kind of just cracked on as
2: normal isn't it yeah to be honest the property world is as you know shaz absolutely thriving and uh, i don't feel like you know because we've cracked on with business as normal sort of thing like obviously we've had to take into account the regulations and stuff where we put on masks to go into viewings um, not too many people in one place keeping our social distancing and stuff like that but really uh, we're still at the same stage with the lockdown mm. uh you know coming to an end uh what i am looking forward to though is a bit more free time like hannah and i have just been working our absolute socks off we haven't had enough real time to go to the you know go to a pub or a beer garden go to a restaurant and relax which we're really looking forward to that aren't we and having and a bit holiday. more and a holiday <laughs> yeah so uh, that's that i'd say that's the uh, the summary of our our sort of um what we're looking forward to after mm. lockdown Good. Well, look, we are, we are coming to the end of
0: it. I mean, I think in Wales, uh, barbershops are open, but in England, mm-hmm. gyms are open. So you win some, you lose some, basically. Um, <laughs> and guys, look, you know, I first met you guys a year and a half, two years ago now, I think pretty much. Um, and, you know, what? it's obviously great to see you've gone from simple deal sourcing and that's all you did to actually growing a business and, and all, all that comes with it, which we'll talk about in more detail. Uh, before we do that, I ask everyone to share their mission statements. So why do you guys do what you do?
1: I think a big thing for us, um, it's the same old story, isn't it? It's freedom, um, time freedom and financial freedom, being able to work for ourselves, um, being able to choose what we do when we when we do it, basically, um, and having that financial stabil- stability that if we didn't do anything for the next however many months, all Of our bills our mortgage, etc., would be covered. Um, so yeah. obviously, the rental income we generated. I
2: think a big thing for us as well is, um, when it comes to us having kids as well, being able to spend quite a bit of time with them, yeah. Um, that's a big thing. Like, I don't, I, I, I didn't really, it didn't go down well with me in, um, you know, putting a kid in a, in a nursery sort of thing or anything like that, Le- leaving your kid somewhere else and you have to go to work and work, um, sort of. 15 hour days for a, another company, which I would have had to go into as a, as a lawyer, which I was going to be, uh, that didn't sit well. And I think another, you know, another why for us is really being at a point where we do have that freedom and then we can help other businesses grow as well. So mm-hmm. almost being like a bridging lender sort of thing. Um, uh, you know, an angel investor where we can invest in other companies and see other people's dreams sort of come true f- through yeah. our investment and helping them out and, and guiding them and sort sort of thing like that. Awesome.
0: Now just, something i mean listen to you guys there. i remember george back before maybe six months ago a year ago your answer to this would have been travel wouldn't it i believe you're well into like Look, we want to travel mm-hmm. what's the reason for the change because that, that's different to what you would have said in the past what i've heard you say in the past
2: so um time's gone on we want kids a little bit earlier <laughs> maybe um can't travel well we're going to try and travel with kids they just gonna have to be on our <laughs> you know <laughs> our backpack or something yeah um
1: it's It's because as well, as we start to branch into other businesses, which I'm sure we'll come on to, um, we want to create them in a way that we can travel and the businesses still run, but I would never want to kind of bring in a team and then they're in the office every day but we're sat on a beach traveling Um, you want to lead by example i want to be there with them i want to be doing the nitty-gritty stuff as well but also as you'll see from all our posts bella our dog is absolutely everywhere with us and I don't think either of us could even leave it for longer than two weeks now. Like even that gives me a limp. <laughs> so we wanna do some camper van trips like around Europe where she can come with us, but then yeah. that's gonna be a whole different experience, isn't it? Cause you're gonna have to you can't do
2: everything
1: with the dog. I think <laughs> it's
2: I think it's gonna be we're still gonna go and see everything we wanna see and do what we want to do in terms of travelling, but I don't think it's gonna be long journeys. I think it's gonna be more like holidays, like yeah. where we go away for maybe two or three weeks at a time and tick off places that we want to sort of see and do
0: yeah, yeah. no so it's good that you know I guess your your needs or your wise have developed and moved mm-hmm. on and also from Hannah what you've said like um because now you're developing a business you realize you know you need to be actually on the ground yeah helping your team as they're growing it's really good um can we talk a little bit about your backgrounds guys I know it's different with what each of your backgrounds what you've done so far
2: yeah so my background was in law I went to university and studied uh law and then I did a little bit of law out in China but nothing serious um, I then went off uh, to Australia. I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do, but I got into project management, which I, I actually quite enjoyed and I got quite hands on as well um, in the building trade as well. So plastering, rendering, concreting, general build work. That's sort of, that's sort of my background before property. That's, mm. all, that's all I've sort of done. I mean, I've done a bit of the, a Chinese delivery driving in the night and stuff like that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much my background before before property.
1: Yeah, I couldn't really figure out what I wanted to do before Prop G. So I was adamant I was going to be an accountant. So all through high school, maths was my favourite subject. Got into sixth form, took double maths, took statistics, and then I went to uni and started accountancy. And honestly, I think I was a few months in and I thought, absolutely not, this is not for me. Um, And dropped out of uni without my parents knowing. Um, and worked full-time in River <laughs> Island <laughs> and then um, I managed to get um, a job in IT working at the London 2012 Olympics so I moved to London for the summer for that and thought right you know what it's IT I'm gonna do IT Um went back to uni and started an IT for management or whatever it was called course and I was like nah uni's not for me this is the same thing again so I dropped out but when I was at the London Olympics I'd met a contact in Cap Gemini who I'd reached out to And Ed said, I really enjoyed my time at doing IT at the Olympics. I much prefer to be hands-on than reading out of a textbook. Is there any vacancies? And I ended up being in in an assessment centre a few weeks later um, and then went into IT in Capgemini. So I worked my way up through project management and account management. I ended up doing a degree sponsored by them, and so I got a degree eventually. <laughs> um And I worked eight years with them, which I recently finished. So it was a bit of an overlap with property, wasn't there? You're
2: making it sound like you're the brains of the business. I am. Uh, I am. She is. She is. <laughs> making the brains out. out <laughs> your time
1: you on social media. I make things happen.
0: Oh. <laughs> Love that, um, <laughs> Hannah. I'm kind of glad you've you've left that job. The reason is the next the next kind of question. I Remember that um. There was a big transition phase um we were a networking event partners in property in mm-hmm. birmingham and you're like shaz i'm actually meant to be in work and uh, if they call me i've got to run out of the room And you're out of the room like, three four times so what was that transition like you know did, did they know what was going on
1: so i was always very honest with my employer when we opened our property back in june 2019 i'd let my manager know my his manager, I'd emailed HR. I didn't want this. It was obviously, there was no um, conflict of interest, but I didn't, I, I did want them to know. Um, for the first year, obviously, well, I, I mean, it took us a few months to get our first deal. Um, for the first year, I don't think it really had much impact. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very much George driving things forward. We were working very late nights, weekends, so I was still pulling kind of my part in the business in on that sense. Um, It was more when we started kind of last year, no the back end of the, I I can't remember, what year are we in, 21? (laughs) 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 We opened in 19, yeah, so 2020, it obviously started to really ramp up, Um, social media played a big part in that, and I got promoted in my role, I'd finished my degree, I was taking on more accounts, so that's when it started to feel a bit unbalanced, um, and as the business grew, before we took on any employees, it was just myself and George. And while I, if I was working on a bid, if, if it was month end, I would be all consumed by my employer, which made it very stressful for you, didn't it? And um, so there was there was a big transition. Um, we held on to my full time job for way too long, but we wanted, <laughs> yeah, but we wanted to make sure that we left at the right time. So I think I reached out to you, Shaz, to make sure that. all well and good putting in my notice and saying yeah we're off but from our perspective then would we still pass reference checks can we still get all the would we have access to all the lenders for mortgage applications because we wanted to make sure we had two years of accounts that we were taking the amount the right amount of money on to be able to pass these applications so ours was very planned wasn't it from kind of all angles to make sure that even though we really needed to leave from the stress perspective and to move the business forward, we actually wasn't then going to shoot ourselves in the foot. You're loads of people who say they're leaving the job, they're jumping into property, they're giving it their all. And I just think, you haven't thought this through.
2: You're so limited then,
0: aren't Mm. you? You're really limited. Yeah, a lot of people do that. It's it's a rookie mistake is leaving Uh your full-time job before you've got at least a year's worth of figures from property or any kind of self-employment. And George, you know, you got a background in the trade and in building. So I guess it was a natural thing that you were gonna go into property, but you were in the Isle of Man, right? Before? Isle of White.
2: Yeah, Isle of White, White. and um, yeah, I was was in the trade. I really always, I always spoke to you about property, didn't I? I was always like, really, I really enjoy property. I really wanna go into it, but I was quite risk averse. I still am a little bit. I do take risks now, but very calculated. Um, And yeah, I was always reading. Property books, always you know, looking at up to date information on the market, all that sort of thing. Uh, watching a lot of YouTube videos, listening to a lot of podcasts, getting educated basically. And um, it took us a good while to push that button, but Hannah was the one who made us push it. Um, she she pretty much just opened Dugard property and was like right you move into wales and this is happening <laughs> um and then, and then that was that and that and so i just moved up to to wales and we made it sort of happen um but yeah that, that that's that that was my sort of transition it was, uh, mm-hmm. it, was it was forced <laughs> it was forced but here we are all well that ends well so look you know you
0: set up Dugard property um you know you kind of start your social media George, you know you've said it a lot of times as so, of you that that networking mm-hmm. is is major key it's really important how what's your approach with
2: networking guys
1: it's a bit different now isn't
2: it yeah it is i think networking's brilliant though um when when we first started um in property you remember shaz we were networking all the time um we'd be we'd see you were there as well you were at every single networking Mm -hmm. event we pretty much go to all of them and just you know, you have to, you have to 100% network at the beginning because you need to get your power team. You need to uh, get all those people together who are going to set your foundations. Um, you know, whenever you need some support, it's good to, you know, bounce ideas off people who are one step ahead of you um, and things like that. So I think networking is powerful, and I think it's very, um, it's very good for in- inspiring you and motivating you as well. So every time we've gone to a networking event, it's like a new lease of sort of life. It's like like ah this is really exciting again Mm. now we can you know we're going to go do this this," or a new you know every time you watch someone talk there's a new avenue that you can look at or something like that you learn something every single time uh, the only thing I would say is that you have to be careful that you don't get shiny penny syndrome, because mm. what we found is every time we go to these events they you know, you might get, you might be doing BRR and then someone talks about rent to HMO and you're like, wow, that sounds really good. And, you you know, you don't want to end up skipping and be a master of none, but a jack of all trades. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah that's pretty much what i would say
1: yeah we haven't networked in a while um i mean we obviously still speak to a lot of people we'll still have calls um and we'll reach out to to those in our team but the whole online networking sitting on zoom all day every day just isn't the same you can't talk it's just very for. so i'm enjoying getting back to some face to face but we did start to fizzle out didn't we things just got really busy
2: things did get really busy which is difficult to then network but what what we are going to do is when it when things start going back to normal we are going to start going out networking and, and and you know getting back into it
0: it's a, it's a difficult one isn't it because if you don't network for say physically mm. uh, people have short memories they'll forget you exist mm-hmm. yeah But then if you do network, you're going to end up with too much business and service levels may drop. So you have to balance it really, really well. And George, I remember, sorry, shiny penny syndrome. So I remember I went to one of the PPN networking events in Cardiff. um, Sorry, Newport it is, not Cardiff. And um, yeah, they had Ahmed Khan, who's who's like the rent to SA guy. Totally, totally shiny penny because he made it seem as if you could be on your laptop in a coffee shop or on your mobile phone and run this, you know, six figure SA business and I left there thinking, you know what, this is it, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> I took him for a kebab afterwards, like, this is my guy, I'm your biggest fan. But yeah, it's you've gotta you've gotta be really focused and I think a lot of the events they really depend on one, who the crowd is and two the speaker. If you've got a really dead speaker, the energy in the room just totally goes. Yeah. And we felt that at one of the last events. I think I saw you guys at where I think Ted was on our table. We were sat with maybe with Imran. Mm. But, yeah, there was just no energy in the room because it just it just seemed really, really yeah. dead. So, yeah, yeah you've yeah. got to have the good crowd, but also the speakers. Yeah. Both things have got to combine. Um, But you guys do it really well, and you link it in with social media. Now, I know George loves his social media, loves his algorithms and, and all this nonsense. Um, <laughs> we have to talk about it,
2: don't we? Shaz is always like, I don't agree with it. I'm like... <laughs> I'm just
0: like, look, if the post is good, the post is good. Who cares if, if people don't interact? But, um, yeah, George, so I guess, you know... You, I know your approach is quite, it's not calculated, but you do like to have, if I think you've said to me before, if you can plan it better to get it to reach more people, then why wouldn't you do that? So what is your kind of approach or thought process on social media?
2: Um, like approach, I suppose we post every day, um, we'll try, we'll try, yeah. uh, try and provide as valuable content as we possibly can. Oh guys, I remember
0: sorry to cut in there, George. I remember during the first lockdown, you were on every, you were like on a live every other day. Oh
1: man, it killed me. I was yeah. I was I was
0: in Pakistan and I was like guys like just
2: have a yeah. rest, like it's lockdown chill. Oh. But not, you... during that period the bit you know, state agents are closed and everything and we thought right, everyone everyone's indoors, everyone is indoors. We need to make the most out of this, and we need to blow up. Like there's potential here. Like for example, I can give an example. D didn't. He, do you know D Ludlow? Obviously, you know D Ludlow. He before lockdown, he didn't do any sort of social media. He came into his lockdown, create the 5am club, and he's Not known again. known everywhere now. Yeah. Uh, it's, it was a brilliant period for someone to get onto social media and put their brand out. So we p- pumped social media out massively and did every single live, every single invite we possibly got. We were jumping on it straight mm. away. Um, and 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 it, it did get our brand out there very well. Um, it helped you know, us raise
1: finance for sure. It helped
2: us raise a lot of finance and it's boosted our business just because of that. But what I found is, um, you know, when you're putting a brand out there, I find it's, it's really important to have a consistent sort of theme uh, colour and way of doing things, so we always have the same sort of colours, so it's recognisable and also professional. Um, keep, you know, keeping as consistent as you possibly can, obviously don't take up too much of your time of actually doing the things mm. that make you money, but um, But doing as much as you possibly can. I'd recommend a VA is very helpful to help you with the tasks within social media that aren't actually um, writing the posts because we still write all our posts because we like to bring our personality to the table. I think that's important as well, putting your personality forward because people buy from people. But yeah, a VA I'd definitely recommend to, you know, help scheduling posts um and help formatting and all that sort of thing mm-hmm. and help editing videos and, and things like that. But I suppose our yeah, that, that's sort of our approach is putting our personality forward um because people buy from people and keeping a consistent theme and colour throughout and, 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 and getting on as many social media channels as you really can as well.
0: And I think um what I would say, not not to big you up too much, George, is even though at that point you were literally everywhere, because you guys are genuinely nice people and it comes across, it wasn't obnoxious as it could have been. If it was someone else, oh, it would have been a bit too much. But it was like, look, you know, these guys are nice and it comes across, they genuinely want to help, which is fine. So I'll allow that. And, um, <laughs> George, you mentioned the videos. Yeah, so you've done this uh, Homes Under the Dugards, mm-hmm. really sickly shot, really sickly edited. Is that leading to you know getting on TV or some sort of? do you know what the
1: the um the videographer that we had who was doing that and that's something we want to start bringing back don't we that's kind of fallen fall to the wayside but we've got some after videos to do and some new performance too so there should be some new videos coming soon um but he has a friend who i can't remember the correct title now worked at one of the tv stations um and he showed them ITV, these films home- i don't know if it was itv it was somewhere and He showed them the videos and said like this would be great if we do something with this and they basically said create a pilot of what you want to do and 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 let's see if you can get you on daytime and the videographer kept pushing he's like yeah we should do this we should do this and it wasn't the right time and we did say come to the back end of spring potentially summer let's look into it the videographer had ideas of how we could bring in other people whether it be agents or kind of um what's the word i'm looking for uh like a wildlife person so we could just cover all different angles of like south wales and what we look for in properties um but we were still kind of bringing someone and we haven't really done much with that so potentially maybe we may
2: push it forward it's just time um like we are pretty much you know like we have outsourced quite a bit of our business and stuff like that but there is still quite we're involved in it like mm, quite a lot, lot. and um, and the time element, we have to take priority of certain things, and, and putting that video in, into place and doing all the bits and pieces is gonna be a sort of long process, especially with all the editing, the the, the filming, and all that sort of thing. So it, it's, it's definitely in the pipeline, I think. It'd
1: be cool, yeah. but yeah, it's not at the forefront of our plans.
2: <laughs> really, no, because that that
0: content, that video, the, the, it's slick, it's, it's t- yeah. it it's is TV-level quality, and and definitely a personality's come across both of you in those videos. So, um, oh, I, I do it more. Um, <laughs> now guys, look, you know, people in Wales, so whether people are sourcing or investing or even, even mortgage brokers, you know, it's very crowded, especially mm-hmm. in South Wales. How do you navigate that and be, be the best or be the, be the go-to people? Um,
2: do you mean go to people for, uh, um, agents coming to us or for Yeah. Event? Yeah. Or for investors. Yeah. Um, Well, investors coming to us, I suppose it's just where we get a lot of uh, uh, referrals, uh, word of mouth. Um, We, you know, the social media, again, helps a lot. Um, We do get, uh, you know, multiple messages a day of people. Um, asking how they can get involved and work with us and stuff and then obviously um, signing up to the mailing list and, and things like that um, in terms of then um, still being able to get you know deals in this in this market that's absolutely mental I agree you know if every there's gonna be so many people probably listening who are just struggling to get deals mm-hmm. and I understand we're in the same market and you know it is it is tough but you have to just go that extra mile and work really really hard I mean it's, it's a it's a numbers game at the end of the day um, I would say you have to think outside the box, um, you know, run some direct to vendor strategies, uh, building relationships with agents. I know a lot of people don't actually like doing that. They think, well, why am I gonna ring an agent and um, you know speak to them about their life and uh, and build a relationship with them. Um, you have to sort of go out your comfort zone and do that sort of thing um, and build those relationships with those agents so you can get deals before anyone else does. Um, and, and just make sure when you do have that relationship with that agent and that agent will bring you a deal if you're persistent enough. And then when they bring you that deal off market, you have to follow through with your word um and do everything in your power you possibly can to make sure you do everything because that agent essentially wants as 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 little hassle as they possibly can um so that i would say they are the key reasons we are getting a lot of deals. Oh, and obviously Hannah is a, is a professional at building systems, which um, we're very slick with it now. So things go really quickly, uh, our systems, um, so we can basically get from viewing to offering very quickly and, and it all just runs quite smoothly throughout the you know all our employees now.
0: Perfect. Now, this may be different for you guys because you're at an advanced age. When you're newer, mm-hmm. what should come first in your opinion, deals or investors or both?
1: Investors.
2: I think, I think it's. Um, Hannah says that, but um, it depends really. Um, in, investors, I think, I think is good because you can get like, you know, you're not going to ruin any relationships with agents if you have to pull out because you're going specific to their criteria and you're offering to their criteria. Um, but again, it takes, it, you know, it takes puts quite a lot of pressure on you, and it's quite a lot of time to go specific to someone's criteria. Um, So in in an area where the deals that you are getting, you can find that specific criteria. So say for example, you know that if you get a deal that's 30% return on investment, BRR, it will sell, then really you could go out looking for that, finding it, and then sourcing it on because you know you'll find an investor because someone will buy that Mm -hmm. deal. And you've just saved yourself a lot of time, effort and pressure from a bespoke client. So. I, I, I suppose it depends, really. I mean, I, there's an argument for both, isn't yeah,
1: there? Yeah, I still think investors. Go I'm
2: with Hannah. I'm, yeah. with, I'm a bit of a Karen about it as well. It's like, I'll see people on
0: social media, you know, offer, offer accepted, Yeah. who's got money in the bank. And it's like, well, you you might even waste the agent's time in that relationship. Yeah. You're wasting potentially the, the vendor's time. Yeah. And I posted as this recently, this is one of the reasons why agents are demanding dips before they even give, yeah. accept to take your offer on because... People like you guys, there no, because of no, sources, we no, can offer after offer, going yeah. for the no, uh, without having yep. the funding agreed. But yeah. it's it's something you do when you're at your stage, perhaps when age to know you're serious. Yeah. Um. So either you are going to get an investor, you can do it yourself.
2: Yeah. Well, the thing is, as well, is at the beginning, like we we might do the thing where we offer before we've actually got an investor. But the thing is, is we don't run a bespoke service, but we sort of do. Because we do have an array of investors that are very closely linked to us where we know their criterias and their st- and stuff like that. So I suppose in a, in a way it is sort of...
1: Yeah, ours is a bit like a hybrid model, at least at the moment anyway. I think looking back from experience for us, we started sourcing um, and we it takes some time to get established, to understand your area, to build those relationships, to to build your power team, to price a refit, There's a lot that goes into it to begin with. And I think if you don't have any investors lined up, it's kind of a free for all. You'll probably look for every strategy in every area and you will spend so much time and become unmotivated. Whereas, and, and I think as well, if you're a brand new sourcer, showing, being able to demonstrate your reputation, your knowledge, your referrals, you don't have that. So it's all well and good, as George just mentioned, you can find a great deal but you're gonna to struggle to sell it in a quick time to the to what the agent's after because of you're not gonna have so much to show. I know you can co-source, but obviously like those sources are gonna to wanna to carry out their due diligence as well. Whereas if you're brand new to sourcing and you've got a bit of a background, if you can build a relationship with an investor, you're gonna be open and honest and you can say, I'm starting off, but I know what I'm on about. Um, this is what I'm looking for. Let's understand your criteria. I can work bespoke to you. Um, and there's an honesty and trust built there, and you've got someone lined up to be able to proceed with a deal. So although it gives you pressure to find one, it alleviates that pressure of selling the deal. Um, and you start to build build credibility with them then because then you've got one case study to show. So I'm I'm definitely for the investors, but I think as you grow and the position we're in now where we we still speak to a lot of investors and we've got a lot of people on our mailing list and we're very specific in we are we lets, BRR kind of all day long, um. We're fortunate the weekend, and we know the agents, and they know we follow through with our word that we can offer, and then and then pass it on to an investor rather than the other way around.
2: Yeah,
0: sure. Sorry, no, that's I, really long. I, <laughs> no, that's good though. I love the detail. I, I can see both sides of it definitely. <laughs> you mentioned co-sourcing now. I know some people are not on board of co-sourcing. I think just so just to run it through because I'm not totally okay with it either. So. If I'm not registered with any omb- with any of the red redress screens or the ombudsman or anything, mm-hmm. but I found a deal that I would say, guys, do you think it's a good deal? Do you want to find someone to invest in that? Is that a form of co-sourcing and is that okay?
2: I'll let you do that because oh. you know about the compliance. But I'll just just quickly, I'd say, yes, it is okay because you're using our compliance, but
1: Yeah, so I <clears> think <throat> the the for us, for example, if a sourcer came to us, and said they're brand new they're not compliant but they have a deal and can we sell it Um we would offer them less of a percentage we would be taking the risk that they're not compliant but we would be then packaging and selling it under our compliance so we would take a lot more due diligence from our side into that saucer. whereas and, and we only typically do that with sources that we've already built relationships with that we trust um, and they, we wouldn't just do it with a randomer. Um, if someone came to us as a sourcer who was fully compliant, and it maybe it's because of it's a they they don't have loads of investors or it's a strategy that, that it's a deal that they wouldn't normally sell, then we would be open to it because obviously our checks they could be done a lot quicker in terms of making sure they they're compliant. Um, the, the due diligence into the deal would still be the same. So we do work with people, not very regularly, but we do deal with people who aren't compliant. But obviously, we make sure that deal stacks and we package it and we have full control of that deal for our investors.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, to me, that, again, it seems fine, based on what George said as well, is you are then taking the responsibility, yeah. you're doing your due diligence and your compliance. So yeah. I don't see the problem personally. Yeah. Um, George, just to ask, because... Um, it's it was on my mind actually. Have you guys been through any property educational training at all?
2: Uh, yes. Do you mean paid or unpaid? Either. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah okay. So, unpaid. We've done pretty much everything. Hmm. <laughs> um, we've you know it's a form of networking, isn't it? So we you know at the beginning we pretty much did everything and just networked as much as we possibly could. Um, I don't think there's actually a, a free course that we didn't do. Um, and in terms of paid training, then um, we've um, we've done Ranjan Bhattachary's commercial to residential. Uh, yes. Commercial to residential uh, eight week eight week program mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, we've we've finished that now. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much what we've done in terms of training. Um, we've we've had um, we've had mentorship um, in terms of business mentorship um on we had two different mentors actually in terms of business mentorship um one in business one uh which was actually a business Wales mentor and the other one that came from business Wales mm-hmm. that's got a lot of um background in um business growth um and we've now got a mentor in Sash pensions and working on commercial to residentials
0: awesome uh, so interestingly you mentioned the business mentors that you've had like property is a bubble, like mm. when you're in property, that's all you think about. So was it was it more beneficial having someone who's probably not specific to property, but is a business growth mentor?
1: Yeah, I think the, the business mentor we'd been um, kind of paired up with, we knew where we wanted to be within property and we knew what we were doing within sourcing. So it wasn't kind of that that we needed assistance with, that we're very good at not getting shiny penny syndrome, I think, because it's the two of us. One of us will want to go into another avenue or one of us will think it's something well, the other one can kind of rein us back in. Um, the business mentor was more to open our eyes and challenge the way we were running the business to, one, provide a better service. But to also, like, going back to your first question on this, we opened the businesses to give ourselves freedom, but up until fairly recently... George and I covered every role within the business. So we were in the nitty gritty. We couldn't just go on holiday for two weeks because of everything would stop. Um, so the the business mentor was there to, yeah, challenge how we run the business, see, look at the wider picture and start looking at how we get from, yeah, being covering every role to where we actually wanna be and the, the big ambitions that we have.
2: Yeah, I, I just quickly, I, I, I suppose it, it's at every stage that we have to make a big decision we have him as a, a soundboard. Mm. We have him as a bouncing ideas off and give, being devil's advocate to us. Like, what about this? What about that? So we can then make a decision. That's what it sort of is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: People, people would pay a lot of money for that. Don't they call that like a non-executive board member where you'd have someone being devil's advocate and you know, sounding board like you said, that's really good. So linking that with uh, what George said, Hannah, about you being good at systems. So in terms of the business now, then where would you say the business is, you know, what is, what would you have as a business? What's systemized and what works?
1: So we're in a massive growth stage at the moment so we're now a team of four very soon to be a team of six um, we've got the sourcing element so everything is done through our pro- we've got a process for everything and we've got our systems to, to capture every movement that we do basically we've got our VA we've got our UK full-time um, employee Ali who's doing the deal sourcing the deal viewing and the analyzing he's basically a mini George. Um, we're about to bring <laughs> on um, an apprentice who's going to handle all the business admin side that I typically do and become a mini-me. <laughs> um, and always mentioning to you at the beginning of this call, before we started, about our announcement that we'll be making this week, but you heard it here first. Um, we've just opened Do God Construction. So yes, yeah, so our next employee now, um, we've got a recruiter on the case for our full-time project manager. Um, we basically want to become a one-stop shop, but the the project manager coming on board and being able to hand that, handle all of that in house as well is gonna is gonna be really exciting, and that's something that's been on the back burner for a while. But we've yeah we've opened now, um, we haven't started obviously taking on any work outside of our sourcing yet, but that should flow all all nicely.
0: Yep, that's amazing, and that's really good, guys. You know, really happy for you actually. <laughs> um, and then you've also linked up with uh, Josh and Sam on a project yeah. or a business. What's the, Is that just a project? Yeah. So,
1: no, we've opened a business with them. So um, there's a few different things going on now. So we've got, so you've got property, which is our sourcing. George and I have our holdings company as well that we buy our properties in. Um, We've also got the business now with Sam and Josh and that's where we're going to do some really big developments together. Four heads better than one. So we're working with them at the moment. We've got a property going through for a eight bed HMO in Cardiff that we're going to convert to three flats. Um, We're going to start doing a few of them, hopefully them building up gradually to be able to move to builds. So we want to do some big stuff uh, together, but that's separate to the single lets that we buy.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I suppose, essentially, we'll always do the little single let BRRs. They're always going to tick along in the background mm-hmm. very nicely. I mean, they're not going to make serious money, but what they're doing is they're they're being that sort of passive income and, and it's mm-hmm. wealth building, isn't it? Um, and then, yeah, the developments are where the, you know, the serious work has to come in and the serious time and stuff. and having Josh and Sam who are very good guys um, that we trust a lot and you know they're very knowledgeable as well They know what they're doing. Uh, Four heads are better than one and you know the workload that's going to come into developments as well So yeah, we're looking we are actually looking at uh, On Monday a development where where we would be converting um, a very old building knocking it down and putting about 30, 30 apartments up. Wow. So that's going to be a big project for us, but and a big
1: learning curve. Yeah,
2: and a big learning curve. But yeah, that's that's sort of um yeah, that's sort of the new business venture with uh, with with Sam and Josh. Yeah. Yeah,
1: we'll
0: see how we get on. <laughs> <laughs> Full steam ahead. No, that's good. So, just interestingly, flats versus HMOs. I'm thinking, just going forward in a post-lockdown world, that self-contained flats will probably be more in vogue than HMOs communal mm-hmm. areas. What do you guys think?
1: Yeah, no, we were, we were literally speaking about this earlier, weren't we, and saying about what we think this, I hate saying it, but this new world is going to look <laughs> like. And, um, obviously, with HMOs, you're, you're sharing, as you said, communal spaces with people. We're a self-contained flat. That, that's just you. Um, whether you're isolating, whether you're shielding, whether you just want to be able to have your own space to feel safer, I do think flats are definitely going to become more popular than HMOs.
0: Coolio. Um, <laughs> no, I, I agree. So guys, gonna, before we go into some deep dive and some numbers, um, I also just want to ask around, you've, you have had mentees um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they've done really well. So how has that been?
1: It's been fun so we sorry I feel like I'm on, no, <laughs> <fun>. <laughs>
0: um
1: no it's been fun so we we got so many messages on social media asking for mentorship asking for training asking loads of questions and um, and George used to spend the day answering people um, and obviously the time he was spending on replying to all these messages was time he could have been out viewing deals to actually make us money so obviously we were just replying them free. And we're all about giving free advice and helping where we can, but it just took too much time. Um, so we thought, right, okay, we could potentially go into mentorship, but we can only advise people or guide people on what we've actually done. So it was very niche. It was pretty much um, people who were looking to get into sourcing and right at the very beginning. So we could kind of help them avoid the mistakes we made, try and accelerate their their journey. Um, And that's kind of what we focused on. So we took on a few mentees and they're doing really well. I think the market at the moment is challenging, but they're all, they're doing great, aren't they? Yeah,
2: they are doing good. They are doing good. Um, You know, they're getting, they're getting deals um, and that's what, that's what matters, Mm. isn't it? Like, you know, as Hannah said, we, we wanted, you know, we wanted to teach them how to source property deals tell them everything we know about how to source property deals through rent to essays and brrs mm. and you know their knowledge is insane now all of them they 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 all have a, a, an insane amount of knowledge and uh, a certain they 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 know some of our top tips that mm-hmm. they won't share with anyone else because they we are know. men <laughs> um but yeah yeah they've that yeah they're, they're doing great yeah. they're doing great it's
0: been it's been good to see obviously i know a few of them personally so mm-hmm. it's been really good um guys just going to move on to a bit more deep dive into actual deals and, and mm-hmm. processes. First thing I want to talk about is your your ex residential property. Yes. Where I believe you've added a lot of value and, and what have you done? Yeah.
1: So the um yeah, our our previous house it was a bit of a funny one because of the when George, when we first opened the business, George had left obviously the Isle of Wight and we opened the business and obviously at that point we hadn't done a tax uh, tax return. George wasn't in where he was obviously self employed. So George couldn't be on the mortgage. Um, so we wanted to make sure we just got a nice, nice house. We could move out, we could get our own place, but obviously with my salary only. Um, but we wanted to stay close to my parents and we really liked the estate and <laughs> we ended up getting a house. Um, and we got a really below market value didn't we? I think it was originally listed for 160.
2: 160
1: and we got it for one 1- Forty, off the top of my head, and we bought that obviously on mortgage as first time buyers, and the, we always knew we wasn't going to be there long, um, but we didn't expect it to be that quick, and we'd moved in and we didn't do much to it to begin with, did we? It was more, it was about six months later we were like, right, this needs to to be modernised, so we did some works to it. We only spent about ten grand, um, obviously because we had our own builders and stuff in who did us really good deals. Um, and then this house came on the market. It's only about two streets away. And this, if you, if we could have wrote down everything we wanted in our house, um, this ticks all the boxes, 100%. literally everything. And then um, we were trying to work out how, we didn't want to sell the old house, but because of, we bought this at auction as well, so we had time constraints. Um, but we were quite lucky in the sense that we sold our old house to our company um so we were able to the the equity we created got refinanced at 170,000 so the equi- 175,000 175, sorry so the equity we created we gifted to ourselves to cover the deposit to take that from a 90% loan to value to a 75% loan to value and then the mortgage that we had there th- this was another kind of intricacy with it because we'd only had one year of accounts at this point, the only mortgage lender was Halifax, who would take one year of accounts, but our old residential mortgage was with, with Halifax, and you can't have two residential mortgages with the same lender. <laughs> so what we ended up doing is, yes, yeah, selling the house to ourselves, gifting ourselves the equity, and then porting our mortgage to this place, and did simultaneous completions <laughs> so madness. yeah it sounds crazy but it worked we found a way so that place is now rented out we've got some great tenants and they're paying 750
2: 750 yeah, yeah and we're but yeah, in our dream home but essentially in a nutshell we only put down 10% deposit to actually buy the house in the first instance on a residential yeah. and through equity we created 25% um, equity in the property in order to use it as a buy to let So essentially we didn't have to pay any extra to get it on a buy-to-let mortgage, yeah.
0: Yeah. Love that, love that. Now, look, because it wasn't me, because he's a good guy, do you want to give a shout out to the broker who made this happen?
1: Ah, yeah, good old Paul Castellini from Westmore. So him and Shaz, yeah, him and Shaz are the ones that, they're the go-to people.
2: Yeah, we should talk about the first deal we did with you, Shaz. That was insane, that.
0: Yeah, well, do you want to move on to, by the way, yeah, this residential, that's Mm. madness. Because I remember you calling me, Hannah, I was like, look, it's an auction. I don't think you're going to be... Doing this in time, yeah. I don't want to risk it, yeah. But mad, that's madness! but a really good result. Um, but yeah, so that's George. Do you want to move on to the one that we did uh with you guys? So, your buy, refurbish, refinance, and the numbers involved,
2: yeah. So, we bought this property for 60,000 and um,
1: 60,250.
2: Yeah, if you want to <laughs> yeah. be specific? I was very <laughs> nervous when because we bought it right in the start of lockdown, and I was very nervous, wasn't I, about yeah. going through with it because I thought you know, D got in my head quite a bit about the market. <laughs> 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 and uh, yeah, a, lo- a lot of people were, were saying the same things though, you know, the we're going to get massive down valuation, surveyors are really on the edge, you know, um, all this sort of thing. And then I went into the property halfway through conveyancing and I, speak to the, I spoke to the estate agent. And I said, you know, we, we run these figures on um, an end value of around one 15 I think Mm. yeah 115 I spoke to the estate agent she said you won't get more than 90 for this done up and I was just I was just thinking like I, I don't go by estate agents at all I go by comparables but I was just sort of like these guys dominate the market these estate agents literally selling properties every day around this area they must know what properties are going for in today's current market sold comparables are usually three four five months ago um and I was just thinking, we were, we were quite, I was quite nervous. Hannah was like, no, I've got faith in this deal. This deal is going to work. This is our first deal. This is our deal that's going to get us going um, and be able to raise finance and show people what we can do. Um, so Hannah managed to persuade me to go ahead with it. Um, and uh, the, the build, we had a 22 grand um, build budget in. Um, as we went in there, all the walls started blowing um, all the ceilings started ha- having to come down. It got to a point where we spent about 26,000 on it. So you can imagine I was even more nervous. <laughs> um, and, um, so yeah, Hannah was like, no, we've got, I've got faith. This deal is a deal and it's going to, it's going to refinance up at a great value. Um, Shaz, as you know, it came in at didn't know one three
0: five. Yeah, but that's no, I can't take any credit for that. That's just because that's what it came in at, you know?
2: yeah but it came in at 135 um which meant that we essentially we pulled out every single penny of our money after paying an investor back and then pocketing six grand profit on top so i mean that's that's quite an impressive deal to be honest
0: it is and it, i think like you said it's one then you could show other people other investors that this is what we do and that we've done it you know it's it's a a template deal yeah um, if you're being honest, do all your deals come in as expected? If you're anywhere, you know what, it's just not come in because the value has not been uh, so sympathetic or?
2: Um all our we've never had a down valuation on a on a property, really. Um all our properties have sort of come in above what we expected or, you know, on it on what we expected. Um I will give you an example. Remember Herbert Street Shaz that we did with yes. uh, Nia and John and um yeah that that one came in you know we we were saying 110 to begin with to to them and that ended up coming in at 130. yeah we we are quite conservative with our figures to be honest um we don't need to be as conservative anymore because the market is in in a way where I don't know what you think but I find that a lot of valuers are sort of going with the the top end comparables am Mm. I uh, what, what do you think um
0: I think they are on the sub 250k properties mm. anything larger i'm finding the being
2: restricted. so yeah i mean we yeah we've ne- we've never had a down valuation from what we had originally said to our clients like here you go this is yeah. what we think it would get um and um and it's never it's never actually coming below that
1: yeah we'd much rather under promise and over deliver and if an investor's proceeding on the numbers we've initially provided then anything above is going to be a bonus we're quite thorough with how we arrive at our um, end value and we always obviously evidence that to our investors um, and well they part of our contract with them is that they need to double check it make sure they agree with the numbers first as well but yeah fortunate they yeah all been well so far touch wide
0: good and in terms of deal sourcing guys you know the, the thing that you got you started really
1: mm-hmm.
0: what is your end-to-end process what does that look like
1: Mm. Um, end to end process. So we have our VA and Ali who work really well together in terms of finding deals and analysing deals and the viewing process. We use Asana, so everything is tracked, that's kinda of like our Bible. Um obviously we use MailChimp for our investors and stuff um process from there from offer then it's normally we've we've got a mailing list but the problem we've got with the mailing list and i keep I, i'm very honest with people about this is we've got a very large number of investors subscribed to the mailing list and because we're not doing uh, as i mentioned about doing a hybrid model at the moment we're not doing bespoke sourcing so really all our deals should go out on our mailing list but the problem we have is we'll put a deal out and it sells within minutes like the deal's gone within an hour and we've got investors who've worked with us before, who've trust us, who we've built relationships with, or maybe an investor that we've spoken to um, for a long period of time about their kind of criteria and they've just wanted to get to know us and the business that will see it go out and they'll just text us and go, that's ours, we want it, we'll buy it. Whereas on the other end, we've got investors that we've never worked with can obviously see what we do on social media, have some element of trust, but they want to make sure they spend a lot of time carrying out their due diligence on a property. So they they need quite a bit of time, but miss out each time.
2: It's a process that's difficult to sort of refine yeah. because we put a deal out on the mailing list and it's like a free for all. And you've got tons and tons of people just going, yes, want it, yes, want it, yes, want it. And then you're like, well, what do I do now? It was first, first come, first serve, but... It is first come first so that's the only way you can make yeah. it fair. But it's always the investors that we know well that will say yes because they know they yeah. can trust us and they trust our numbers. So it's it's a difficult process to it's get. It's something
1: around. we're trying to get around at yeah. the moment.
2: So
0: when they do come to the investors, then because yeah, I know there are, there's a mad rush. Um, do they come with their finances secured, or are they just say, look, I want to secure this deal. Here's whatever the, secure, the fee. But they may not have the funding on the back end themselves at that point
1: it really depends because the majority of our investors are cash purchasers um, there's we've only got a handful of people i think who who leverage bridging and um, but if they show me that their proof of funds more than covers the deposit covers the fees covers the refurb and some and they provided me with a broker's name and maybe they've already been in talks about a, a further deal then that gives me confidence that they can take that one forward. If it was someone who was brand new said, oh, I'll get bridging, but they don't understand what bridging finance is, then it'd be a different story. I'll always kind of grill them on the bridging side first and make sure that they know and that's something that they they understand and they've already spoke to a broker about they
2: have to understand what they're getting into before Mm. they sign our t's and c's otherwise we feel completely unethical so that's why a lot of the time someone will say to us oh yeah i want to go through with it and i'm like do you understand you know what what budget have you got and they might say you know i've got 30k and i'm like well, you know that's going to be quite difficult to get into the deal. Um, you know, I can introduce you to Shazad Ahmed, our broker, mm. <laughs> uh, and then and then obviously they can have a chat with you, understand it, and the next time once they understand mm. it and fully, you know, it's all. Sort of, um, they've ascertained it all, then obviously yeah. next time they can potentially get the deal. Um, but I think they need to understand everything first and what's yeah. involved and it's all di- the fees involved as well.
1: It's difficult as well because obviously the majority of the deals that we pick up are those lower priced valleys properties. And you did a post about Ishaz not long ago, the cost of bridging finance on such a small purchase. Does it make the deal worth it? And that's something that we need to ask the investors. And a lot of them want their first property. What a lot of them have saved up their 40k and just want to get going. So they they want to take the hit on that cost of finance. So they've got one rent coming in. They've now they've now got experience being a landlord, and um, and we'll go from there. So yeah, it's um it's a funny one, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Sure. Now we've spoken a lot about investors and how you work with them. What advice would you give? Someone who wants to start a deal sourcing
2: business and scale that. Um, I have a tough skin. Yeah, so <laughs> one thing is definitely have a, this is honestly, we, you know, we do run multiple businesses. This is one hundred percent the hardest one, mm. without a doubt. It's it's a middleman keep trying to keep everyone happy. Um, I
1: said it on a on a podcast before. If you're a sourcer, you may as well be called a punch bag because you're the person who's connected to everyone. You've got the agent chasing you if they need information or if the solicitors are moving quick enough. You've got the um, investor who wants to know about your update. You've got your build team that you're trying to manage. The communications then if something has gone over on a refurb and passing that back through. There's so many different moving parts but you're the only person who keeps everyone linked together. Um, Obviously in today's market we've touched upon how quick properties are selling how they're going for above asking price but I think anyone who's starting off in sourcing needs to understand and I think this is something we were really naive about when we first started is how many rejections you'll actually receive Um and to actually be able to take that on the chin and keep pushing forward you will you will find deals that the actual stats between how many offers you put into how many deals you actually secure I think a lot of people don't realize how big a difference that is starting off
2: yeah just having a tough skin is is definitely the the biggest bit of advice I would give um and being you know being consistent and um yeah
1: and get a good build team because they're crucial
2: yeah yeah definitely because (laughs) that's that's another thing just quickly a lot of sources like they might pass something on to um a project manager or a builder or something but um a lot of people want the full service in one Mm. so i would definitely advise making sure your build teams are are good and we actually have a post on our social media about how to find good builders so check it out
0: (laughs) you can can promote yourselves afterwards george Um, (laughs) and then so great someone's done deal sourcing is is sourcing any kind of tips to then scale that into a business because it's it's a different thing isn't it
1: yeah i think you definitely need uh, you'll get two types of sources i think you'll get the ones who see it as quick cash think they can make quick money um and that's all they see it as or you make it into a business like we have it's very relationship service driven it's as george has touched upon being consistent it's yeah, I mean you don't always have to be on social media but if you want to be able to build up that trust show your knowledge you want to be doing leveraging that don't you and as you've touched upon having a, a brand that you can make recognizable and, and trustworthy
2: yeah but in terms of scaling um, I would say you need to outsource as soon as you possibly can mm. we held on quite a too bit long. too long um, you need you know when when things when business is coming through and you can see there's a lot of business you you're you're sort of like in my mind, anyway, Hannah's not so much. But I'm pessimistic to go right. Okay, I'm going to give this guy a salary of this much, and then you're just thinking, wow, that's quite a lot of money for a year. But really, what you're doing there is you're outsourcing that part of the business, so then you can mm. focus on the profit generating to bring you more income. So that's the way. That's what I would say. I would say it's so important to outsource as soon as you possibly can, especially getting someone like an assistant, a virtual mm. assistant, um, who can outsource the the tasks that you find boring so you're not going to get them done efficiently because you find them absolutely boring um and the tasks that are are not profit generating Um, and that is really the way of of scaling the business is is doing that creating more business as well so you, you outsource then you're creating more business to come through but also just having the right systems in place as well. Um, so, you know, everything's organised mm-hmm. and everything can run efficiently. I mean, you need to have a central hub where all your employees can look at so things can just run efficiently and through and a system.
0: So systems, processes and staff. Yeah, yep.
2: I guess exactly. And outsource. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Outsource. Outsource.
0: yeah. yeah I, th- I think people, people say, I think James Sinclair is one of the businessmen. He says, like, get a PA as soon as you can because you mm-hmm. need one because essentially you're trading time for money, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's what you want to do. Yeah. Um, guys, as we kind of wrap this up now, and this has been a really good chat by the way, thank you. Um, what are your future plans on a personal five, 10 year level?
1: Retire. <laughs> <laughs> Financially free. <laughs> um, there's a few things that we want to do. We always talk about this house in Spain and a wine bar and living like this leisurely lifestyle. But I think in reality, we want to be able to build up multiple businesses of our own. We mentioned about being the one-stop shop, which run almost without us and smoothly with a great service. I think we'd really like to invest into other businesses, diversify from property. Um, And we've got some great investors who've funded our deals and really made a difference to to us being able to scale. So I think we would then like to repay the favour to then when we're in a position to become lenders to those who are probably doing the same?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think it's um it's creating, you know, a legacy, creating a business where we're providing people with the you know, jobs. Um it is is having that, you know, being able to just have multiple business and creating jobs feels amazing. Um and it and it you know, you're doing something, you're giving back really aren't you? You're you're creating jobs. So I think that's powerful, but then when it comes to the point where you know we want to relax a bit more uh, we've you know we've worked our absolute socks off and we want to relax maybe in five years time for a bit it would be nice to then use some of the cash that we've brought up that, that we've made, and then help other businesses. So, you know, people that have got dreams and but they can't, they need, they need investment. Mm. Um, and, we, you know, we can, we can help people within property, we can help people within other businesses as well, if we've got faith, you know, it's, it'll be exciting for us as well to go into different businesses and help different businesses, but also just having a little bit of profit from that as well.
0: Love that. It's, I think you've got a strong vision there, both of you guys. Um, Hannah, you've mentioned it a few times, so I just want to ask and focus on it a bit. You mentioned about being potentially a, a lender yourself, a bridging mm-hmm. lender maybe. Is that something you would generally look at?
1: I think so. I mean, I'm not sure how it would play out in reality. Um, and I know there's regulations and stuff we'd need to um, abide by. But I think we've received a lot of angel investing, which has really helped with us. And... Um, and obviously on better terms than some actual bridging lenders so i think being able to do something like that um knowing how much has helped us being able to do that for someone else i think would be really rewarding but obviously Mm. as George has mentioned we'd get some profit from it too um i think we'd cross that bridge when we come to it what that actually looks like in practice yeah i think cross that
0: bridge yeah Yeah.
2: sorry (laughs) (laughs) what did i say cross that bridge bridge, bridge bridging oh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think I think because we're getting into developments now, like the, yeah. the profits the profits aren't just you know twenty twenty grand sort of like houses where you're making twenty grand a house, you're making five hundred grand you're gonna you, you know you're getting big cash pots really there, um where if you would then to put that into more developments, it's active income, you're having to work very, very mm. hard to make that happen, whereas you can use that cash, give it to someone, they do all the leg work. And you're helping someone, you know, create a future for themselves as well. So I think bridging is definitely something we want to go into where it's not. It's a it's, it's little effort um, for, you know, we can sort of put our legs up, can't we? And just be like, we've, we've worked so hard <laughs> for so long. Let's yeah. put, give some money to people. Let them work hard now mm-hmm. and then uh, and give us a little bit of profit for it. <laughs> Good stuff. Um,
0: guys, I was going to get your final words, but one question's come to my head. What do you think is the best way... Or well, the most cost efficient way to add value to a property i know me and george we speak about this fairly often
2: most cost efficient way to add value to just a general uh, yeah and, and this is table. and i
0: always say to people it's material improvements versus cosmetic you know mm. and that kind of thing
2: yeah um i mean putting a third bedroom in is is uh, is great i know that a lot of valuers go by uh, square meterage and stuff like that but uh, they usually compare with free beds don't they for example um, so if you make it into a free bed they'll compare with the free beds that are then higher value um, so adding a bedroom is, is awesome um, it, exactly the pretty much what we've said before Shaz it's it's getting rid of the things that down value a property knotweed damp bad roofs that, that's leaking those sort of things that really cause issues and create um, A down valuation for the property. I mean, if if you're going to put marble worktops in a property um, in the valleys, but or you could just put you know Howden's range. It's not going to change the value that much. Um, I know you would do it for a flip because you would go right. I want someone to walk into this property and think they're going to live in it for the rest of their life and go, wow, I want to live in this. I want to pay the money for this. But if it's a rental, you don't need to be really going that far. Um, So I would say, you know, adding value to a property. You just want to make it a clean nice finish. Um, and you want to be getting rid of any issues that can down value that property. Um, and, and you know, there, there are other things that you can do. For example, if you're in somewhere like Cardiff, you could add an extension to add that serious value. But in, in, in the valleys and places like that, I wouldn't because there's a ceiling to the to the prices there. Cheers, George,
0: that was actually golden. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so guys, look, thank you again for your time. It's been really insightful. Uh, any final words for people listening?
1: Thank you for having us on. Thank you for listening to made it <laughs> this far. <laughs> um, no, I don't have anything
2: else to say. I'd just say, Mark, the same thing I always say is go for no. Every single no is what's step closer to a yes. And don't compare yourself to others.
1: Yeah, that's a big one. That's a good
2: one. That is definitely a big one. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers, guys. I hope to see you soon. Thanks, Chef. Cheers. Cheers.
0: so i hope you listened to that with a notepad and pen and making notes if not go back and do it again there was so much value in that guys it's been great to see han and george develop as people and develop their business over the last year and a half two years that i've known them you can connect with them on instagram at dugard underscore property connect with me at west shaz please give me some feedback leave a review and tell a friend um and until next time be humble be grateful be peaceful